Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 242 for May 11th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about workbench finishes, rust prevention in the tool cabinet, and wiping away glue when it's wet or dry. Uh, all that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, which is Brusso Hardware. Brusso provides high-quality, American-made woodworking hardware for your next project. As a special discount for new customers, use coupon code WT2015, that's WT for Wood Talk 2015, for 10% off orders at Brusso.com. You definitely got to go check it out. You, you won't be disappointed with their hardware. I got to I got to tell you, it's you know it's not the cheapest stuff out there, but there's a reason why you're paying a few bucks more. This stuff is uh, you know light years ahead of of other hardware that you can get at your standard. Um, well, frankly, even even like Rockler and Lee Valley, the stuff that they carry is still pales in comparison, unless they happen to carry Brusso. You know, Wait, so what, what you're really saying in a nutshell is you get what you pay for. Uh, in the in the world of hardware, that can certainly be true. Yeah. Okay. I, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. For show. Sure. And uh, also, we'd like to thank a few folks who helped us out with donations, specifically Rachel Steele, or would that be Raquel? Rachel? Raquel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> Dang it, man. Me and these names. Christopher Berklin, Jason Rausch, and Peter Staley. Thank you so much, you guys. We really appreciate the support. And if you want to help us out too, you can just go to woodtalkshow.com. Look over in that side column for a couple of links for a one-time donation or a recurring donation. Any, any way you want to help out, we always appreciate. So thank you so much. And if you want to go check out the giveaway at woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway, which darn it, we're like the second week in and still haven't gotten that thing set up. So Shannon, you're up with the next uh, <laughs> thing that we're providing. I sent an email. Let's get this going so that by the time this show is published, people can go sign up for the next giveaway. Hey, look at that. I just got your email. There you go. See, I sent it five <laughs> seconds ago. That's why. Okay. <laughs> oh, that yeah. was the ding over there. Yeah. I was wondering what was going on. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's move into what is on the bench. For me, it's more chair making madness over here. I'm just plowing forward with this project just because of my my personal situation with Nicole uh, being pregnant and having a lot more. I just got to spend a lot more time in the house, uh, making sure that everything is is taken care of with the kid and whatnot. So I'm taking every spare moment that I have and trying to get this project done just because I don't know what the future holds. And uh, I'm moving ahead pretty quickly. So I'm at the point where I'm cutting the arms. And I think one of the cool things about building chairs that once, once you build a couple and, you know, fairly complex chairs, you start to see where the room for, you know, flexibility is where you could change angles and what dimensions can be changed and what can't. And when you look at a finished chair, some of these more complex pieces, you almost don't know where to begin because you're looking at the finished product, but there are certain rules and parts of the project as you go. If you're starting from the beginning, instead of looking at the finished product where you could see how it just evolves its way there. And then once you satisfy the joinery and the the reference surfaces are all taken care of it's like anything in between those reference surfaces is fair game so a lot of what like confuses the eye when someone looks at one of these chairs is the stuff in the middle if you break it down to just the simple joinery that holds it all together and forget all that stuff in between suddenly it's just basic joinery you know so it's interesting to see as it goes together where those points are and then you could identify, wow, if I really wanted to try something different on this, um, I've got free reign here because I've already satisfied the the surfaces that were necessary for the joinery. You know, so you break it down and it kind of just demystifies it a little bit. So um, enjoying that sort of revelation 
on this particular project. You know, so, so many things in my life have been ruined by people like demystifying things. Don't do that to me, Mark. Why are you doing that? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I just I, want I like to have think it's the magic. childish, you know, the childhood eyes kind of looking forward and going, there's so many mysteries in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and then I ruin it with reality. <laughs> yeah, totally. So it's a good time. I'm having fun with it, but uh, yeah, it's it's quite a pace. I'm, I'm, I'm amassing a lot of footage that hasn't been edited yet, and we were just talking offline about this, how scary that can be to just kind of pile on the footage and not really have a sense for maybe I mess something up and I won't know it until I'm well beyond that part of the project. But, uh, so far so good. I've been doing this for a while, so hopefully I won't screw anything up at this point. I suddenly <laughs> had an image of like, you having to go back in and reshoot something. And suddenly it goes from like the beautiful wood that it is right now to like a two by four. <laughs> this is just some <laughs> off the, off the shelf two by four. Don't mind that uh, stain yeah. it brown. So it looks like walnut. <laughs> you don't even make any attempt an to like try crawling it. Ground in the background. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So that's it for me. What about you, Shannon? I did nothing. Uh, Attaboy. I caught, caught some sort of summer flu something. So I, I prayed for to get better or to die. <laughs> one of the two. Oh, man. I've accepted either for the last three days. Wow. That sounds <laughs> fun. Today was, was the first day where I thought, you know, hey, I might want to live. So, yeah, it wasn't a good weekend for me. Wow. Well, welcome back. Yeah, thanks. Glad to have you here. I'm At least it's be not here. the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. I mean, the last thing we want is a zombie hand tooler. Yeah, it yeah. could be. How's uh, how's Heather feeling? Oh, she's fine. She's <laughs> probably the one who brought it home. But you know, <laughs> school teacher. she has the immune system. It's like iron immune system. Yeah. as a teacher, but Gotta doesn't be. mean she can't carry it all home. So totally. Yeah, it, it's good. My goal, I think, because uh, this this coming Friday is her annual choral competition at Hershey Park. And I always chaperone it. So my goal is to pass it along to at least four or five, six graders. It's going to be the point. <laughs> there you go. Wonderful. Spread the, uh, spread the love there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. What about you, Matt? That's awesome. Take that, anti-vaxxers. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, unlike Shannon, I have not been feeling – I've been feeling pretty good, to be quite honest with you. Although I had plenty of moments this weekend where I didn't – I wanted to have an excuse just to lay around and do absolutely nothing. I, I did find it for a few hours and then guilt really kicked in. Uh, the big thing right now is – since I've wrapped up the tall dresser project, I'm looking for my next project. And typically the way it kind of goes in my shop is I have a big project and then I'll do several smaller ones. And then somehow I'll be convinced that I can tackle another big project. And more unrealistically, I'll have the idea that I can knock that one out faster than I've ever done before. And then we you know, go ahead and fast forward a year and I'm still working <laughs> on it. Uh, but really what I want to do right now is I, I'm, as I'm sitting here in the quote-unquote studio, recording studio, I keep looking around and Samantha's got some great stuff for all of her organization of her office supplies and everything else. And I look at mine and I have a pile. And I got another <laughs> pile right next to that. So what I really need to do is to come up with some sort of office organization, uh, be it some sort – something that – like a really nice stand that the computer can sit on, maybe with a couple of drawers, uh, maybe something that I can put my paperwork in so that I can kind of hide it away rather than having it out in the open or – since my little area is next to a window, every time a breeze comes in, I suddenly am doing exercises. I'm chasing the paperwork down the hallway. <laughs> that's always fun. So, yeah, that's always fun. So I think that's that's the thing right now. I've, I've been going through Pinterest. I've been looking at some other things, trying to find something that really appeals to me so that I can then turn it and make it mine or make it that one and then just claim that um, somehow we were inspired to build the same exact thing. <laughs> nice. That sounds good, man. I've, I'm looking at a very dirty desk here with several piles. 
Um, so I, I will be looking very closely at what you're doing. And I will also borrow that idea and pretend it was mine. Oh, excellent. Good, good, good. I'm That's glad just we'll how have we do this. things. <laughs> yeah, we'll have more, more to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, perfect. All right, cool. Well, let's move into what's new. Here's some stuff that you guys shared with us, and we are sharing it with the public at large. That's our job here. And uh, I don't remember who shared this with me. I think I saw this floating around Facebook, so I don't actually have someone the credit for this, but I did share it on uh, my Facebook page too. It's a fantastic video about Turner Stephen Kennard. And the guy is just a great masterful wood turner, but it's one of those videos, again, the beauty shots, the, the ones that are just shot in a way that makes you love what you do as a woodworker. Like when you see shavings and dust moving in slow motion, uh, like super high frame rate video and just beautiful videography. Um, so even if you don't care about turning and you don't care about Steven, this is definitely something to watch. It will, it'll make you want to turn, even if you're not a turner. Uh, fantastic video. Got to check it out. I love turning around. It's so much fun. Spinning? You mean? Yes, like spinning. Like yourself? That's what I'm doing right now, actually, in case my voice suddenly gets softer. <laughs> I go, so that's why. Uh, so, so we made the mistake of giving you a rotating chair. Pokey, Matt. <laughs> and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. Oh, no. Me on roller skates is not a good idea. That's a horrible, horrible thought. Well, don't even put Matt and roller skates in the same sentence. <laughs> I, I, right. I think I want to, actually, now that you mention it. <laughs> Maybe that could be the title of the show. All right, so this next one came in from JC, and he says, here's an interesting woodworking website with links to some of the turn-of-the-century books on woodworking. Enjoy. So we'll go ahead and we'll have the link in here. One thing I will say is it's more of a, a carpentry type of uh, website. There's a lot of stuff in there that's not so much woodworking, definitely more carpentry itself and by carpentry i mean like actually building structures and stuff like that maybe there are a few i was kind of flipping through it a little bit and kind of scrolling through and seeing what i could find i didn't find a lot that were tool specific but if you are and i know a lot of you are this way you want to look for anything and everything to do with tools and wood definitely check this one out cool very nice this one comes to us from frugal he says can i promote another down-to-earth englishman no nope well, all right. Sorry, Frugal. <laughs> so the poll was Australian. <laughs> yeah, we're done with Englishmen. Uh, but you know what? Forget about Frugal. I'm going to promote this guy because he's awesome. Richard okay. McGuire runs the EnglishWoodworker.com, and um, he's just fantastic. He I don't know exactly where he's from in Britain, but he's got a great accent. And I will probably get myself in trouble if I try to put, yeah, it's a Southern or it's a Cockney. I don't know. It's a very strong working man English accent. He's got all kinds of fun British expressions. Um, it's just worth uh, worth watching just to, to listen more than anything else. But he is a professional woodworker, comes out of the apprentice system in Great Britain, and just he's got these great videos that he calls Richard's Rants. And he just it's kind of a mythbusters of hand tool woodworking, if you will. Hmm. Uh, the most recent one, which we'll put in the show notes, is about uh, cap irons or as we know them, chip breakers on this side of the pond. And it's it's just really good stuff. It's worth going back and watching. The vid- uh, videography is really good. Great backdrop in this kind of stone wall. I just imagine his shop being in the corner of some barn somewhere in the middle of the English countryside. So uh, definitely check out theenglishwoodworker.com. And uh, he's got a great website. There's more to Richard McGuire than just his YouTube channel. Let me just tell you. Leave YouTube and go watch on his website because he's got a blog too. I didn't know people Wait. actually had things other than YouTube channels. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing, Mark. What? I had There's no idea. Outside of YouTube? This is amazing. 
All right. <laughs> There's a whole world of woodworking out there. Yeah, believe it or not, with like fancy pictures and text and everything. Mm. Is that moving pictures? You know, actually, I was thinking about it when you're talking about the accent and everything. I get all of my English accent on Downton Abbey. I don't need any more. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty. This is definitely not Downton Abbey English accent. This is. Oh, is it uh, is uh, Mr. Of... Selfridge? Is it the Jeremy Pivens version? There you go. I prefer the uh, SNL skit where they um, make fun of the queen. (laughs) (laughs) That accent is perfect. Nice. See, and I was going to be all classy and say it was more of a My Fair Lady, but (laughs) SNL is better. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Cool. All right. Let's move into our poll of the week from our good buddy, Tom Ivino. And he wants to know, at least last week, we, I don't think we announced it on the show, but the poll went up a couple of days later. How do you measure? And it's dealing with, um, you know, what units, imperial metric to use something else. Uh, looks like 77%. And of course, we're a, a US based website. So I think we skew United States on this. Um, 77% use the imperial uh, system. 18% metric and 5% say story sticks and relative dimensioning. And I guess you could do a combination of them, but the combinations weren't on the list of uh, options there. So I'm, I'm looking for the one that is imprecisely. Uh, is it, was there a percentage of imprecise on there? <laughs> we forgot to put one on there that, that said not very well. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the one that I would go for. <laughs> cool. And uh, this week we've got a question for you. How do you fund your woodworking? And Tom's basically asking, like, do you have a special account set up for it? Is there a separate uh, bank of funds that go into it? Does it feed itself? Or are you just taking from the regular family pot of cash every month uh, to make sure you can continue with your habit of woodworking? It is nice when you uh, get to a point that you can actually, um, the thing can fund itself, you know, like you maybe sell a project here and there, or even if you're making videos on YouTube and you're not, you know, trying to, to, to like break any crazy ground there, you just want to make enough AdSense revenue to fund buying materials, you know, stuff like that can be great. I'm looking for the one that's, uh, is is there one in there about college, uh, child's college fund? Because that (laughs) one pretty much Aiden keeps asking all the time. So how much is in there? What? Wait a Oh, you didn't see that we transferred that? Yeah, just make sure they don't look at the statements. <laughs> right. Get yourself in trouble there. Cool. All right, let's move into our kickback. And we only have one here. It's a voicemail kickback from our good buddy, Diami. And I think he uh, he may have taken slight offense to our uh, making fun of his angry East Coast <laughs> sort of uh, flare-up last week. Are you but, sure it was slight uh, offense or strong offense? Uh, he might have strongly disagreed with our oh, opinions okay. on that. Uh, but well, anyway. obviously, he, he didn't listen to the disclaimer at the beginning. We do put that disclaimer in still, don't we? <laughs> no, I think we forgot. Uh, but he's, he makes up for it here. Here we go. <laughs> Gentlemen, hello. This is the calm and thoughtful Diami from penultimatewoodshop.com. I'm calling from the state of New York in the reactionary and excitable northeastern United States. I'm making this call to you to mildly suggest that if Matthew would like to fit a miter saw into his shop, any miter saw, that the best way to store it in his limited space is to turn it to the highest bevel angle or uh, course cut angle possible and leave it stored in that manner, not at zero degrees. Because then the handle will be as tight to the body as possible. And if you construct a stand for the saw based on that, the handle will be behind the face of the stand. I've used this strategy in my past two shops with my past two saws. I'm happy to report that I've never caught my leg on it when I've put it away this way. Occasionally, I do get lazy and leave it zero, and then I do catch my hips on it, so I understand the issue, and I would say simply, 
turn the saw to the highest angle when you're done using it. I would also like to concur with Jen. Okay, so do you want to address that, Matt? Is that going to work for you, just turning that sucker in? I only wish that I, I had the bout of occasional laziness when it comes to my shop. So uh, <laughs> I, since I have consistent laziness, uh, it will always be Still a problem. an issue. <laughs> All right. Well, the second half of his voicemail, he's uh, agreeing with Shannon. Let's hear the rest of it. In his correctness, when he states that the dimensions of lumber should be stated in the order of thickness, width, and length. As a New Yorker, I'm sure that my opinion is right. And since it's my opinion that this is the right order, I'm going to go so far as to say that it's analogous to writing from left to right. If you read and write English, you go from left to right. If you specify the dimensions of a board, you go thickness, width, and length. Thank you so much for the considerate show you gentlemen put on, and I look forward to feasting my ears in the next episode. Okay, wonderful. Now, there were a couple other people who uh, expressed the same opinion on woodtalkshow.com and left uh, comments there. And I do have three things to say in rebuttal. First... Second. Well, back down. Third. <laughs> I did it my way. And that's all I'm going to say about it. And and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the most preparation Mark Spagnola has ever done for a Wood Talk episode. <laughs> uh, you know, there's times where I had to edit Matt's chortles. That took me a little bit longer to put a string of chortles together. But this, this definitely, it took at least 10 minutes. Uh, that's that was great awesome. <laughs> and uh that's that's all we're gonna say about that so let's move into our email yeah. <laughs> and the first one here is from martin uh he says mark in your last tww live you mentioned that you were disappointed with the finish on your workbench what type of finish would you put on it if you had to do it over again would you even put any on it i understand that a finish would protect the wood but why waste time to protect something that is meant to be abused like a workbench is supposed to be abused would this type of finish be applicable for any shop project and he wants to know if you guys would agree uh with i guess whatever i'm about to say so get ready because i'm going to say something uh, the finish that I put on my bench previously when I first finished it up uh, was, oh, what the heck was it? Tried and true. So tried and true is a great oil and it's something that you have to apply in very thin coats. It takes a while to cure because it is, you know, doesn't really have any chemical dryers in it, but it's a great finish. Uh, it's just not something that I want on my workbench. And the reason is because it just takes too long for those coats to dry and they don't really build up to, to much protection. And the reason I want to protect my workbench is not... I'm obviously not going to protect it from mallets and, you know, uh, wayward drill bits and chisels and things. And nothing's going to protect that. But you do spill stuff on your workbench and you could either have the choice to see that stain from stain or you can choose to have the stain just beat up on the surface a little bit until you have time to wipe it up. Um, yeah, so I don't I don't mind my workbench getting dirty, but it doesn't have to be any dirtier than uh, than if I, you know, stated that in a really stupid way but what i'm saying is i don't want to have to look at stains if it's an easily preventable thing so putting a decent little coat of finish on there could make that difference for me and keep the workbench looking a little bit nicer um, so it isn't necessarily a, a utility thing such as a visual thing so if i had my you know ability to do it over again which i do i would still go with an oil-based finish because that tried and true finish is well cured by now um, what I would probably just use is a Danish oil. Just Watco Danish oil is nice. It's easy to repair and to reapply as needed. Um, and you can get it at uh, any home center. And it's got a little bit of varnish in there. So just one or two coats over the course of two days will give you a decent enough protection to just move forward. I'm not looking for 
this thing to look like a piece of living room furniture. I just wanted to repel stains, dirt, and actual stain material and dyes and things like that that could very well end up on the surface. Um, so that that's my personal opinion. There's lots of ways you could finish a workbench and whatever works for you just works. So I'm curious, um, we'll just go to both you guys real quickly. I'm curious what you guys do use or would use on your workbenches. Matt, go. Uh, I, I I just let the wood be its natural self. I would put nothing on it. Um, even the, the bench I have right now, it just has plywood on it and it is naked plywood. And I have a feeling that when I actually do make a bench, it's going to be all natural also. Uh, I think if I was in an environment where I needed to worry about it drying out, uh, such as your, actually your shop, Mark, mm-hmm. uh, I probably would want to put something on there just, just as a little peace of mind or something. But no, I'm going to put nothing on there, and I'm going to let nature take its course. Mm-hmm. Okay, what about you, Shannon? Well, I'm extremely happy with the finish on my bench, and it's it's kind of a special family recipe. It's uh, and, and you know what? Because it's <laughs> you guys, I'll tell you. It's um, it's a little bit of shellac, <clears throat> some Danish oil, uh, about four or five drops of blue milk paint, some <laughs> general finishes armor seal, a little bit of sealacel. Uh, some aerosol lacquer, nice. some paste wax, some friction wood turners polish, um, quite a bit of CA glue, <laughs> some two-part epoxy, uh, thinned, unthinned, and dyed, and uh, whatever else I happen to be applying at the time. <laughs> now, the key <laughs> is to apply all of this over six to seven years, um, and, and that's what I ended up with. It's, Develop it's a very a nice finish. patina. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great patina. It's um, you know, protects the surface of the wood. It's it's fantastic. So yeah, my my finishing thing for my bench is is you know when you get to, to finish the end of finishing a coat uh on something and you've got that little bit of finish left over in your finishing cup, that's what goes on the bench. Now see, uh, I was going to apply that same logic generally to the rest of my shop furniture. You know, and, <laughs> and, because, and that's exactly what I do with the rest of my shop furniture. My shooting boards have the same secret recipe. You know, my well, my tool cabinet, that one I actually finished like a normal project. But my mm-hmm. shop bench, my uh, my saw bench, they all use that same super secret recipe that now you know it. There you go. Well, nice. You know, actually, yeah. there there is a Vanderlist super secret recipe, but you probably saw it in all the videos that I've ever produced. It's called sweat. <laughs> sweat <laughs> with degrees. A, with <laughs> a hint taco of taco sweat. Meat. Yes, all over that bench, which would explain a lot. Of, see, some people think the stains are from uh, really bad finishing jobs that I've done. No, nope, nope. That was that one was burrito. That was quesadilla. That was taco. <laughs> Matt, why does your workbench smell like cilantro? <laughs> uh, well, so many memories. <laughs> you know, the thing is, though, for, for shop furniture, you know, my answer is different. I use anything and everything. Leftover finish is great. Shop furniture is a great place to try a new finish that you don't necessarily want a good project to be the first time uh, you give that finish a shot. But I'm not actually doing anything on those shop cabinets, for instance. But my workbench surface, I'm just a little bit more picky about it because I'm always working on that surface. And if there's any uh, little bumps of glue or anything stuck to it, that's actually something that could damage a project that I'm working on. So I want to keep it nice and clean. So actually, I mean, I put a little bit more love and attention to the very top surface of the workbench than, than any other typical shop furniture because it's a functional surface. Well, for sure, if I was gonna if I was gonna put a finish on it, I want something that's a, a penetrating finish. I don't want a film on there. Uh, I've actually seen have I, I've seen people like put a didn't Megan Fitzpatrick paint her LVL one that she made? Oh, I don't know. She, did. she painted I, the legs. 
Uh, she painted the legs. The okay, top. for some reason I thought she painted the top. But all right, yeah. But still, I mean, it's it, when I think of a good workbench finish, I think of something that's like a penetrating oil, mm-hmm. just enough to like treat the wood, but not leave that like nice slick top on it. Yeah, give it a little something, something. Cool. Yeah. See, and my thing is, is while I'm not flattening my bench top every six months, I am flattening it. You know, maybe once a year. So any finish that goes on the top yeah, it's is gone off. once I take the hand plane to it. So I, I've sure. just never really bothered other than what I do now with whatever's left over. It's a good way to use up that last little bit of finish in the can, too, that won't be enough for a whole project. There you go. No. I'm just curious. Sorry, totally good a tangent this one. Shannon, so as you're removing that like about one once a year or so, you're reflattening it. Is it getting shorter? And are you noticing that as you tend to age, you get shorter also? You ever notice as people just kind of get smaller? <laughs> it's in sync. Is that, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't notice. Yeah, it's perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was we're wondering. Not, yeah. We're not reflattening the top because it's out of flat or flattening it in order to decrease the height as we shrink. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, do you yeah. do you take like the, the calipers and double check to make sure that it's keeping with you so that you're not getting shorter? Because who knows, maybe at some point you'll actually surpass the shortening of the bench. Mm, maybe. Mm. Mm. Probably. Mm. All right, I always use my calipers to measure other things, though. <laughs> do you have like human size calipers to measure yeah. your height? Yes. Alex, hold this. I got to see if I've shrunk any. (laughs) Nice. All right, Shannon, you're up. I am. Great. This is from, is it? Kevin? Yeah, Yeah, Somebody's still in a fever right now. No, there's just, my name wasn't on it. And and I don't know what to do unless it has my name on it. (laughs) Where do I go? (laughs) This is from Kevin. He says, I live in New York, which has its share of very humid days in the summer. It also has angry Long Islanders, apparently. Mm -hmm. I recently built a hand tool cabinet out of quarter sawn white oak from my unair conditioned garage workshop. I was thinking of dropping a bag of desiccant granules into one of the drawers or on a shelf to absorb excess moisture in the cabinet. My questions are one, is this application in this application, is it even worthwhile as a rust preventative measure? And two, if it is, could this draw too much moisture out of the wood in the cabinet and possibly damage the wood in the long term? Um, Let's address this backwards. I don't think it would draw too much moisture out of the wood. And the reason I say that is you're not supposed to open those bags of granules and dump them in. So if that's what he was saying when he says, should I uh, drop a bag? Uh, hopefully he's not saying cut that open. You know, the ones that say do not eat. Um, that you're sounds not supposed like it would to be actually messy. drop those in there. Um, I think if you did, then maybe it would draw too much out. But even then, I don't think you're going to draw so much moisture out of the wood that it's going to change anything um, because you've got the the overbearing atmospheric conditions that will always be injecting more moisture into it. Um, but those little desiccant granule things, um, I think they're they're unreliable at best when there are actual products out there that are specifically designed for this. Um, there's a company called Z-Rust that makes, ironically enough, they're called Z-Rust emitters. And I think they're basically the high-performance version of those desiccant granules, but they're inside a, a little container, and you can actually mount that container to the wall inside your cabinet. You can put it in a drawer, and they actually emit um, particles that coat all the ferrous surfaces within a certain range, a certain diameter or whatever. And it works really, really well. I've got one in my cabinet right now. I'm in Maryland. I have pretty much the same humidity that you do and i'm in an unair conditioned garage and i haven't seen any problems if you want to go old school you can get a um a block of camphor and actually put it inside the tool cabinet 
And what that camphor does is it actually evaporates and then it reforms on top of the tools, leaving a small, very, very thin microscopic coating on the tools that prevents the rust. That's actually what we do at the Stepping Stone Museum. In each one of the tool chests, when you open it, it clears your sinuses because the camphor comes wafting out at you. But every single tool in there is completely rust-free. And we're talking about completely unair conditioned uninsulated barn with holes in the walls that birds can fly through. You know, I mean, they're almost exposed to the elements and we don't have any rust problems there. At the same time, just because you've got something in your cabinet does not mean you shouldn't take rust preventative measures on your tools themselves. You know, wiping it down with an oily rag before you put it away, occasional waxing like every six months. Beginning of summer is when I do it. Um, and then usually uh, sometime in the dead of winter, I'll apply uh, a coat of wax onto my uh, planes and not so much my chisels because my chisels get so much hand oil on them from handling them all the time. I've never had rust problems there, but I, I wouldn't just trust it to a desiccant inside the cabinet. Hmm. Interesting. You know, stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering here, maybe it's just, it's, it's purely the semantics of it, but it doesn't seem like it should be Z rust emitter. It seems like it should be Z rust absorber. Cause it seems like if you're saying you're admitting it, emit, emitting it, that you're, you're spreading the rust everywhere. It's emitting a preventative agent. Oh. It's, it's spraying it out and it, and it coats the surface of everything. That's, that's the principle as I understand it. So oh. it's actually, well, I still like absorber. Yeah. Okay. But maybe they're worried about competing with something else. A lot of absorption going on. Hope you're absorbing this right now. I'm absorbing it all. I'm just sitting back and taking it all in. <laughs> I'm just kind of letting Matt go with that. <laughs> I'm just letting him run with it. <laughs> all right. Speaking of Matt. All right. Well, this question came in from Jonathan. He says, I was wondering how you guys deal with glue during glue-ups. Is it better to let it sit for 30 minutes and scrape or wipe with a wet towel? Glue-up is a big moment. I feel I may be missing a step as far as worrying too much or too little about glue seeping into wood pores and corners. Now, this is definitely a perennial question. This one comes up quite frequently. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I have done it many different ways because I saw some top woodworkers that I really admire – do things differently and I thought I'm going to try that and then I would go nope not going to do that one again so <laughs> we'll come back to it. the way the way I do it in my own shop is uh, I typically like to let the glue kind of get rather gelatinous I was thinking about like what would be a good description of the consistency of this and I, I the one I came up with shocker it's a food reference of course is I like the glue to be at that point where it's it's obviously starting to harden so if I'm typically I'll use a yellow glue so it starts getting uh not the, the yellow that it is in the in the bottle but it starts taking on more like that much darker yellow like a, a golden rod kind of a color uh and once that's at that point i then will typically come in either with a, a, an old chisel or more frequently i've been using quite a lot lately actually i should say uh the scraper from benchcraft and i like just coming in and at this consistency right now it easily comes right off and i don't have to worry about the glue remnants being left and potentially getting into the wood pores because as Jonathan is kind of you know, asking if he's worried too much or too little about it, when it seeps into the wood pores, you don't notice it until you apply the finish, especially if you're going to stain it or even potentially paint it. And suddenly it's like, why, why is it not being absorbed in that area? What's going on here? Right. So I like to get it to that consistency, and then I'll come back, like I said, come in and, and remove it. Now, the food reference I was going to make is I like to think of it as like when somebody makes homemade chocolate chip cookies, and as they're cooling – 
the uh, chocolate chips are like at that point where when you break the cookie open, there's a little something there. It's kind of like a little, little you know, it's going to stay in the chocolate chip form, but it's still gooey enough that it kind of separates and it's delicious to taste without crunching your teeth. Not that chocolate chip cookies cause that issue. If they do, somebody else has got another issue going on with their cooking. Uh, but that's kind of the consistency I like for those. Whenever I have tried to do the thing where I put the glue on, I put the glue together, or the, the project together, and then I come in and try to wipe it up with a wet cloth, that has always ended in the worst well, wood pores getting filled with the, the glue than anything else. So again, for my, myself, I really like that, that middle ground. Not hard, not soft, just right. Just uh, firm on the outside and gooey on the inside. Exactly. And sometimes that's the way I like my morning bowel movements. Oh, wow. Um, so, <laughs> man, see, and I was just thinking I want a chocolate chip cookie, but now I'm good. Not anymore. Totally good. <laughs> don't need, don't need Probably anything. better that way. Uh, well, I think the real trick for this is knowing in your climate and probably even different times a year, um, when the perfect time is to do this. Cause for me, it's yes. much faster than it is for other people. If I wait too long, it's going to start pulling wood fibers. But if I go a little too early, then it just kind of spreads like because the the outer dry layer is not thick enough yet. So as I scrape across, I'm just, you know, bursting them open and then it spreads all over the place anyway. Yep. So it's something where you got to work in your area for a while. Try it a couple times, maybe start with a half hour and see how it goes. Um, But you may have to adjust it a little bit to find that sweet spot. Yeah, in fact, I can tell you right now, mine is. I was again. I was thinking about this when I was looking for that analogy. It is forty to forty-five minutes from when the uh, joint goes together that I know I can come back, and it is probably exactly at the consistency I want. So, in my area, my neck of the woods, for certain, I'm like, don't do. If I get a a project done, like the glue up really quick, and then I'm like, what am I going to do? I've I've got forty-five minutes before I can do anything. I have to set an alarm. I'm not kidding about this. I have to set an alarm because more than likely, I'm going to go like sit down and watch a TV show. And then two hours later, I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> That's where uh, Siri comes in handy. For yeah, timers. I, I use that all the time when I'm like, I'll do this when I get the, I finish cooking on the grill and I want to burn everything off. So a lot of times you go in you start eating and there's no way you're going to remember to go out in five or 10 minutes to turn everything off from high. So meanwhile, it's this blazing inferno out there. Um, and I do that all the time. I'm like, uh, set, set timer for 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever it is. And uh, it works great for shop stuff like that too. Yeah. I'll, I'll go, Suri, remind me in 45 minutes to check on my glue. And then she'll go, that's right. We'll look for your shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Here are directions to your shoe. Can I help you with anything else? Cool. You know, I I will second Matt's usage of the scraper, the Benchcrafted scraper. That's a great little tool. Um, And frankly, if you don't remember to set that timer and you come back two hours later, it still does a great job of like the the dead hard PVA glue. What's that Um, thing cost? Um, I I want to say for some reason, 45 is in my head. I don't know if that's just because that's how many minutes. Now I'm one, (laughs) I'm certainly one to talk about stuff like this, but that always struck me as one of those tools that like, sure. If it landed in my shop and I'm like, Oh, look at this. It's a bench crafted scraper. I'd be like, Oh, this is fantastic. But it's, it's something I don't think I could ever get myself to pull out my wallet for because like 34. $34. $34. That's, that's not terrible, but I also I, I have... I bought it at WIA years ago. And same here. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing, though. You're under the influence there. I mean, right. I've, I've purchased yeah. many things under the influence that I look at later. I'm like, what? 
was I thinking with this? Well, you, you know, Shannon, I think you did. You buy it the one in Chicago because that's where I got it, and that yes. was just like, one, yeah. So I think you and I looked at each other like, "Hey, would you, I'm going to get one too? My <laughs> life will never be the same once I have this. Gotta have this." <laughs> Cool. Well, Shannon and I are scraper buddies. Yeah. It's just one of those things like <laughs> no doubt fuck? it works great, but like it just is very hard to say, yep, I need that. I'm gonna buy it. All right. Um we know what we actually skipped. I skipped the voicemail for um <gasps> from Gerard here. So let's hurry up and hear what he has to say. Hey guys, Gerard calling from Bowie, Maryland with a question about table saw uh cuts and making them exactly 90 degrees. I do not have a jointer and was milling some table legs um, using a hybrid kind of table saw and benchtop planer method. And once I got my beautiful, nice, smooth sides together, I lined up my legs and found I had made some really beautiful parallelograms. So uh, that obviously isn't what I want in a table leg. And I found myself having to spend a lot of time figuring out how to fix that. Come to find out my table saw was slightly out of square with the table. Again, I've uh, got an older contractor's saw, a TS-2424. It's a rigid. Uh, done some upgrades to it, zero clearance, a nice blade, a rigid carbide, uh, and I just can't seem to ever depend on it to be 90 for anything. I can handle that with some things like panel glue-ups and some of those other tricks, um, but I'm trying to figure out if this is normal. I mean, is my saw just notorious for this? Do we have to check it just a lot more than I'm used to checking it? Uh, you know, saw stop is in my future, but it's further in my future than now. So any tips on how I can reliably get it to 90, um, tools, techniques, jigs, whatever, uh, and some suggestions as to how often I should expect to have to do this would be appreciated. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Bye. Mm. All right. That sounds frustrating, Gerard. It's, really. It's been very frustrating. Yeah. And, and this is, uh, you know, it's hard to say because we're not there to inspect his saw to see what's what might be wrong with it. I well, don't, he is about two hours south of me. So well, go check it out. Make a house we'll, call. Hang on, Gerard. Here I come. Yeah. There's your answer right there. Shannon will be down. In fact, he's probably <laughs> we'll, we'll showing up the right hand now. Guy down to help out with the table saw. Yeah, down. exactly. It'll be perfect. <laughs> He'll bring his planes and everything. Um, so if your saw is not dependably locking down and this can go with you know fence line alignment as well that's actually one of the most common frustrating things with lower you know budget um, friendly saws is sometimes that fence just will not lock consistently in the same position so it's worrisome to me that it isn't locking the blade Um, i don't i don't think like he wants to know how often should he have to well to be honest never or let's let's clarify the only time you ever should have to check it is when you know you've moved it Right. You know, now that's not to say that things don't on their own move over time, but it would take a long time for, for instance, on my saw for it to go out of 90 on its own just from usage. Mm-hmm. You know, so things should be locking down securely. If they're not, and you actually have, you know, physical proof that this thing is moving on you, uh, that sucks. And I would say definitely go through a full tune up lubrication procedure on this thing. Maybe there's sawdust in the way that's preventing you from being able to cinch down. Uh, the knobs that hold everything in place and the stops that are used to keep it where it needs to be. Uh, maybe doing that will free up some of that uh, dust and allow you to really clamp it down nice and tight. Uh, that would be my hope. And if it's still moving after that, there is there is something to be said for you know budget-friendly saws or tools in general. A lot of times they don't work as well. And one of those things that they don't do as well, holding their settings. You know, and right. that goes across the board for any tool. 
uh, in woodworking. And that's not to say that that rigid is suffering from that problem um, because I've used a couple of rigid saws at other people's shops that were great. But this one in particular, that certainly could very well be what's happening. Right. I definitely had a problem with uh, my my old contractor saw that I had. Uh, of course, the problem with that was it was like about 50 years old when I when I received it. So therefore, it had a whole bunch of other issues. But I did have something very similar where I would make a cut and then it, for certain, there was just that part of me like, I need to double check. I need yeah. to double check. And it got extremely irritating because it felt like every third or fourth cut, and that's not really an exaggeration, I would have to come back in and just double check it. And for certain, there wasn't a whole issue with the the gears were just not locking at all. I would yank on that or really tighten down on the on the knob to uh, try and keep it from going, and it would just work itself loose. So, yeah. unfortunately, yeah, it's one of those things that perhaps Gerard, one of you might want to do if you haven't done this already. Just double check after every single cut, you know, just for a little while, just to get a feel for how often is it really moving on you? I mean, this again, it's not an ideal situation because this is just, yeah, it, it's it's not ideal. There's no other way to describe it. Yeah. Well, so that that might be something you need to do just to get a feel for how bad it really, really is. Yeah, how many cuts does he have before it goes off from 90? You yeah. Know? And even in my situation where I'm, I know that my saw is dependable when I lock it down, it's pretty much going to stay there just because of being burned just by things moving, even when you don't you know, expect them to, I'm in the habit between probably not every cut, but between every set of operations. So if I'm mm-hmm. doing, you know, I'll make a, a series of cuts now and maybe a half hour from that point, I'll go back and make another series of cuts. I will always grab my square and just very quickly raise the blade up, check it, make sure it's good, bring it back down. And that's just force a habit. It's not even something like I've, uh, you know, my saw goes out of calibration. I just want to double check because I don't want to screw up this workpiece. So right. as a precautionary measure, measure I'm checking the, the reality is I'm not adjusting it each and every time. I'm just double checking for my own purposes. Same thing with my jointer fence. For instance, I'll always check that before I do a new jointing operation, just because I need to be absolutely sure kind of <laughs> belt and suspenders, <laughs> right. yep. you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes it has nothing to do with, with the blade. I used to have a problem with my fence. It would always, you know, when you tightened it down, there was like a slight ex- eccentricity to the cam, which allowed it to lock, but that also caused it to like walk a 32nd of an inch yeah, exactly. um, to the left or the right. <laughs> right. So then I knew every time I locked it down, I had to double check it. And I was like, while well, I was double checking it, I was checking to make sure the blade was square. You know, you make like seven double checks before you run that piece of wood through and you just mm-hmm. kind of get into that habit. And you're right. Like 99% of the time, everything was good. But at least if you are checking it every time, you might be able to see, okay, what did I do that last time that made it go out? Yeah. Um, Because there could be any number of variables causing it. And the idea is to slowly kind of eliminate those variables. You can tie it down to one. The other thing is, did he he say how long he's had this saw? Mm, I don't think he did. I don't remember. Because there's always the contact the manufacturer. I mean, most of these guys are perfectly willing. Ridge, it's a good company. They will say, hey, sounds like you're having a problem with it, and maybe they can offer some advice. Sometimes they might even replace it for you. You never know. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yep, they might even go, yeah, we know. Some other guy's called, too. Thanks for calling. (laughs) Yeah, that sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, they they might just go ahead and totally not (laughs) Should have bought a saw stop. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) I guess you want to hurry up and uh, earn a little extra money. (laughs) Uh, You know, the other thing I'll recommend, Gerard, that you may check and I find on certain tools where I know the fence, for instance, a jointer that has a twisted fence. 
That can be very tricky. And when you're setting the fence up square to the table, you could set it up so it looks square to your eye and everything seems good, but then you joint the workpiece and the workpiece itself is not square, right? So what there are some cases where it's better to test the work than to actually depend on just straight from the table. So let's say he's got a little dip or something in the middle right near the blade and he's taking a small square, checking it for square, then making his first cut and it's off. And it might actually be because the blade truly is not uh, 90 degrees to the table as a whole. And he right. just set it 90 degrees to the table in the area right near the blade. So mm-hmm. that's one thing to check right off the bat is run a piece through and make sure that the work piece after that first cut is square and matches up. And that's, again, just like Shannon said, it's going to reduce at least one variable and let you know that your table is flat enough to reference right there from the blade area. All right. What else? That's it, right? That's voicemail. And I think we can move on from there. Uh, If you want to support the show, you can do that. Just head over to woodtalkshow.com. Look over in the right column and you'll see a few donation links. If you want to send a few bucks our way, uh, you can get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. And also make sure you enter yourself in the Wood Talk Show giveaway at woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway. And if you want to, you could leave us a review in the iTunes store. Uh, Just look us up in the store. Click on ratings and reviews. And if you'd like to, give us that five-star rating like Paul Straka, Paul Straka did. Quite a few here, but I picked Paul's. Uh, He calls us the click and clack and curf of woodworking. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. These guys are the click and clack of woodworking, entertaining and knowledgeable without being condescending. With two children at home and a busy job, I don't have time that I would like to make some sawdust. In the meantime, Wood Talk scratches the woodworking itch. Thanks, guys. And thank you, Paul. Very nice. I don't know. I think we could use a touch more condescension in the show. Probably. In time. You know, eventually we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we had our snarky show a couple shows ago, so now we need to have the condescension. The condescension show. That's next. Okay. We'll do that one next. I'm, 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 I'll, I'll start practicing. There you go. All right, Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, do you have a comment, question, or maybe a really condescending suggestion? We love hearing uh, from you in so many different ways. You can uh, leave us a voicemail on our Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our vo- voicemail. Oh, my Lord. Just the condescension. People are messing me up already. <laughs> Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com very cool so what would condescension be in this case if i go um, matt would you like me to help you read the end of the show is, uh, is that what you'd like me to do i'd like you to stick that idea someplace <laughs> <laughs> yes all right well thanks for listening everybody we'll catch you next time see ya, see ya.